Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you'll find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello, and welcome to State of the Economy podcast by Business Line, where we discuss the real estate trends of the month gone by and the upcoming trends and outlook. We have with us Mr. Ashish Kandelia, the founder of Certus Capital. Uh, welcome to Business Line podcast, sir. Thank you. Thank you, Vishal. Um, so Ashish has over 20 years of experience with expertise in real estate investing and lending. In his earlier roles, he had re- led the real estate businesses at KKR and Morgan Stanley Real Estate in India. He has US dollar $1.9 billion worth of transactions experience and has been instrumental in building three businesses around real estate, banking, equity investing and lending. He founded Certus Capital in July 2018, and since then, Certus Capital is an independent team-owned firm that partners institutional investors and family offices to invest in real estate opportunities in India. Thank you. Thank you so much, Abhishek, for that introduction and look forward to this discussion. The first question, sir, obviously, how has the private credit market in India played out, let's say, over the last few years post-COVID? If we take a five-year time frame, and could you put some numbers on board for us? So I think so. The the advent of private credit market, especially at the broader level, has gained more popularity over the last two two and a half years. But it really started uh, seeing uh, a lot of activity after the ILFS crisis in two thousand eighteen. Because ILFS crisis in 2018, September 2018, was almost like a mini uh, GFC or global financial crisis of 2008, an event similar to that for India. And uh, it actually brought a lot of uh, pressure, liquidity pressure and asset quality pressure onto the domestic system. So for, for a period of time, most of that void was really filled by foreign institutional investors. These were credit funds, special situation funds and all that thing. That kind of stepped in. Uh, so, so a lot of that activity happened in 2019, where you would have also seen some of the erstwhile financial institutions uh, that included the likes of DHFL, Altico, Yes Bank, uh, one of the outfits of uh, Reliance Capital. A lot of these these went down, and a lot of these portfolios came into play. So, I think so that kind of caused this thing. And I think over the last three four years, the domestic fund managers domestic wealth, domestic HNIs and family offices have also become a lot more aware of this kind of an opportunity. And today, uh, both foreign investors and domestic investors are kind of going after it. I mean, if I were to put some numbers on board, I think over the course of last four or five years, I don't have the exact numbers, but it would be probably uh, north of uh, $15 billion at least, probably more. Because just over the last one and a half years, I think based on certain estimates that are that have been done by EY, I think uh, it is uh, really close to $9 billion. I mean, $5-odd billion happened in 2022. And just this first half, we have seen close to $4-odd billion of private credit investments happening. And within this, I think real estate continues to be a very large space. Like, for example, last year in 2022, about 30% plus Ended up ended up being real estate private, uh, uh, you know the the share of real estate private credit at about one point six billion dollars. Okay, right. And sir, if I look at the current scenario, it's a very upcycle the real estate market is witnessing in India. Is there any demand outlook or picture for the next few quarters, maybe a year, two years, some period? 
I mean, see, I think, yes, you're right. Uh, there has been a very significant uh, uh, turnaround in the sector starting uh, from the end of COVID, which was like start, uh, in 2021. And like 2022 was one of the most robust years in about 10 years where uh, we sold about close to 4.5 uh, lakh units. Right. And uh, first half, first quarter of this financial year, also just year one cities have sold more than 1.1 lakh units. So I think uh, basically a very, very robust trend. And this kind of continues. So our expectation is that these healthy levels will be maintained over at least next three to four years. I mean, it is just driven by the fact that basically from an affordability point of view, uh, we are at the rock bottom. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, we are at a 20-year low in terms of affordability, or it is thereabouts that because there has been significant increase in uh, salaries and compensations and all that over the last seven, eight years. But but basically, the CAGR or a compounded annual growth rate in housing prices that have been a minuscule two to three percent, and there are enough and more pockets which have been stagnant. So so affordability is very high. Mortgage penetration is still low. And mortgage rates, despite their increase of about two odd percent from their lows of six and a half percent, are still quite reasonable at eight and a half about percent. So our opinion is that next three to four years should remain fairly robust. And the quality of the supply is also much better because it is coming from more disciplined players under a more regulated environment now after ERA. Right. And uh, since we spoke of mortgage rates or bank rates, um, how do you see that having an impact on demand? There were some hikes. Did it slow down demand temporarily? Now that it's stable, what is the outlook again? I don't. I mean, you can never any... rule out a rate hike option. Yeah, yeah, you can't really because globally, I think most central banks are still kind of hawkish. I think they're watching inflation quite closely, which has not cooled down. It has come off, but it has not cooled down to to the to their desired level. In India, also, food inflation continues to remain high. So to that extent, uh, you know, RBI is also doing a fairly uh, balanced act in terms of uh, their actions and commentary. Uh, so you can't totally rule it out, but I think India is, uh, in that sense, on a much better uh, wicket as we speak. Uh, and uh, while the uh, rates went up, they went up uh, by about 2% plus. But to be honest, I think they went up from a very low base. India has never seen home loan rates in the range of 6.25, 6.5%. That was that was very low. And while they're and when they're back uh, at eight and a half percent, that's where I think rates have more normally been. So if they start crossing nine percent and all that is when we have to worry. But I think we have already gone through a rate hike cycle, and it's if it has not finished, I think most of it is done. So we're not very worried about a uh, significant increase in mortgage rates from where we are right now. And this 2% increase that we've witnessed over the last one and a half odd years, that has actually not impacted demand in any meaningful way. In fact, the demand has remained very robust. So purely on the rate action point of view, I don't think there is much of a worry about they spoiling the party. Right. And in the private credit seg uh, segment, where... where you play out also. What kind of opportunities do you see in the near term, let's say the immediate one year? Yeah, so I, I mean the, the private credit segment opportunities are uh, uh, had been evolving. I mean, initially they were mostly on the distressed stress asset kind of side, you know, uh, where 
we had either stuck projects or or situations which has run out of working capital requirements uh, or uh, or projects have become np and all that and there continues to be a certain segment of those kind of opportunities that still exist uh, which we call them more like trust assets or special situation kind of opportunities but i think there are also two other large segment of opportunities that are there uh, one is just pure growth opportunity so with this with uh, with this uh, strong rebound in the markets a lot of quality and cred credible players they are looking at new growth new acquisitions uh, new project acquisitions and so on and so forth and therefore there is basically an opportunity in the growth capital side you know we have participated in a couple such situations uh, then at the same time uh, you know there is a huge void that has been left by erstwhile financiers who are no more active or relevant anymore right or basically a lot of wholesale nbfc business that used to happen uh, that has become stagnant or being curtailed down so there is this void that has been left by erstwhile lenders non bank finance companies especially which needs to be filled now right and uh, that is where i think uh, uh, new age companies like ourselves or alternative investment funds or private credit funds are stepping in and filling in that gap this could be of anything sometimes it is construction finance sometimes it's a mix of uh, exiting the existing lender who is no more really active and is liquidating their portfolio and taking over those positions and providing further growth capital and so on and so forth and there continues to be these uh, special situation kind of opportunities where uh, you know now the projects may have actually become quite advantage but they're stuck for one reason or the other and that and need some new financing solutions to step in and uh, uh and uh, lead them to completion and these demand or these new growth areas that you see that you just spoke of are coming typically from which sort of geographies in india um can you name some of these geographies i think to be honest they are across the board and across sub segments i mean my core area of specialization is real estate so that's what i'm going to kind of really talk about but uh, uh but we are seeing this across across all the major cities in india uh, to give you an example i think uh, mumbai saw one of the highest registrations have ever at 10000 plus units in august right it continues mm -hmm. to perform very well i mean bangalore residential markets are performing very well and we are seeing a lot of growth opportunities coming from there both for typical residential development plotted development etc right uh, uh, hyderabad has seen a very significant uh, re-rating almost of the market. And in fact, that is one market which you want to watch a little bit cautiously. Uh, uh, NCR has seen significant increase in prices. That is where the prices have gone up actually more significantly. So, I mean, these are just few data points for you to kind of get a sense that across geographies, there is a fair amount of energy, uh, uh, you know, in, in growth. Uh, and uh, and what we kind of hear is that even tier two cities, uh, you know, are showing a decent amount of momentum. So so that's kind of on the residential side where we do see a lot of growth. Apart from that, other segments of real estate, whether it is uh, uh, warehousing, whether it is data centers, uh, yeah, you know, they had also been seeing a lot of growth. I mean, there are so many large land acquisition deals that have been announced. On the on the data center sides, and and then there are people who are now putting to their specific pools to to tap into that opportunity. So uh, so across subsectors and across geographies, we are seeing this growth. And uh, beyond private credit, one interesting area has been family offices. 
interests of investors. I mean, there have been a lot of family offices which have shown in, in interest in investing in real estate. What what is the status there? Can you just give us a brief picture? What is driving these demand? Yes, yeah. See, I think family offices in general are becoming a very very significant cohort of investors. So you know, so uh, so historically, uh, you know, uh, a lot of capital flows or large. A uh, segment of capital flows uh, really used to happen from offshore by foreign investors and all that, right? And the domestic capital, even if its participation was there, that was in more smaller format transactions or even smaller funds and all that. But uh, I think family offices has been on the rise for about a decade. And, uh, you know, as we see generational shifts that are happening, there is a significant amount of shift that's happening from... Uh, from a lot of people who build businesses and now as those businesses, uh, as those founders are kind of hanging up their boots and the, the wealth is passing on to, to the next generation, many a times the next generation is actually converting that wealth into family offices. And then these sizes have become very large. Also, Indian businesses have just become very large uh, and uh, many of these operating businesses and all that, they continue to have now substantial family offices. So this family office as a space over the last 10 years has become a lot more organized. And as it is getting organized, there is more professional management, professional investors that are getting roped in. So when that's kind of happening, there is more channelization of this money into various kinds of opportunities that include real estate, that include private credit, and so many other venture capital and so on and so forth. So that's that's very clearly is one thing. I mean, to just give you an example, there was this thousand odd crore transaction that was done by I think the Damani family in 360 West in Bombay, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the example of one such large trade, which otherwise you will only look at a foreign investor to bring in that kind of a corpus. So, so this, right. that just gives you the weight of uh, family office today, what they can po- possibly do a, as a solution or as an investment. So this brings me to the next part of my, or if I may put it, the phase two of my questioning, which is based basically uh, around Certus Capital itself. So where does Certus Capital stand in this scheme of things that we just spoke of? What sort of credit push that you have seen? What sort of growth have you seen in India? Can you share of some? Can you share with us some of the projects that you have backed or invested? So see, I think I mean just to add a little bit to the introduction that you gave about Certus Capital. So as you mentioned, we started in two thousand eighteen. Uh, so we are about five years old. Uh, so basically, at Certus Capital, uh, our core expertise has been real estate, but we have been very uh, focused on real estate as a sector and within real estate credit as a theme. Right. Uh, it is also just uh, the fact that as we started immediately after that, we had this event of ILFS, which created a huge credit vacuum uh, for wholesale lending in general and real estate lending in particular. And that's where we spent actually a lot of our initial two, three years, which was after the ILFS crisis and through COVID. So during that period, we actually worked with a lot of institutional investors. And in this part, we have uh, we have advised on transactions aggregating to more than 8,000 crores. Uh, most of these transactions had been oriented around either credit or, uh, or credit platforms, right? Uh, a lot of that involved uh, helping erstwhile NBFCs get liquidity against their real estate portfolios or basically bidding against uh, some real estate portfolios and all that stuff. And as we were kind of coming out of COVID and this whole sector was bouncing back, I mean, one of the thought process, which was always the original thought process with which I left KKR was to 
kind of create a platform that will channelize domestic capital into real estate because you know i think in real estate and basically if we look at a seven year cycle we need almost 100 billion dollars of developmental capital and most of the foreign capital that comes in uh, in real estate that is to date despite it now having almost close to a 20 year history to date has mostly 80% plus of that has been oriented towards buying assets or supporting build out of assets as opposed to developmental uh, capital that is that is where most of india is like uh, uh, you know india residential is the largest segment uh, requiring close to 500 million square feet per annum right so so the whole idea was can we channelize domestic capital towards this growth story and and that's kind of what we started doing with earnest.me last year which is actually a platform wherein we bring in all this institutional expertise and using this institutional expertise, uh, we create credit opportunities within the real estate sector, which in a bit more democratized way can be accessed by a lot of investors. So that's what we had been kind of doing. Uh, Ernest.me is a relatively new platform, uh, started about just over a year ago. So there we have invested in four projects till now, one in Bombay, one in Chennai, uh, sorry, two in Bombay, one in Chennai, one in Pune. And now we are looking at four or five more across these tier one cities. Right. And in terms of uh, return on investments, what sort of return of investments have you gone, got, uh, or obtained over these, let's say, five-year period for Certus and Ernest Me? So I think so. So, uh, so you know, in the, on the transaction that we advised on, and I must say these are transactions that we were advisors to, not necessarily investors in there. But most of the mm -hmm. transactions that we advised investors on, on these ones, these transactions had returns that ranged anywhere between 19 to 23%. And in most cases on a senior secured credit basis, right? Uh, a lot of performing credit. So, but these were all special situation opportunities that needed some solving, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of performing credit that we had been doing for uh, earnest.me, I think uh, there, uh, the return that we had been able to offer to our investors, again, on a senior secured basis. And this is all on performing projects which are doing well and no kind of stress or anything of that sort. That return has ranged anywhere between 15 to 16%. So the broad bucket of range in which we end up operating ends up being somewhere around 14% all the way upwards to about 20%. Right. And do you, and do you make your own investments? How much have they generated returns to around that side so, the, so on the earnest.me platform is where we are actually making our own principal investments mm -hmm. and uh, that, that's and, it right and that's and that's where i think the return range that we have so far targeted is 15 to 16 percent right and you happy with that or you want to take that up now i mean obviously anyone wants to take that up but what's the general <laughs> target there no, see, honestly, I think it's not a question of wanting to take it up or down, really speaking. Uh, it's really a question of what is the underlying risk that you are mm -hmm. looking at, what should be the appropriate return for that investment, and what is the investor category that you are catering to, right? To be honest, I think if you are catering to a, uh, to, to, to an investor segment that is very risk averse and basically simple standard transactions which are pay which pay interest on a quarter on quarter basis does not have a duration of more than two and a half to three three and a half years you know generally speaking you would want to stick to this 15 percent plus minus kind of a uh, uh, return range because that's the appropriate 
return for the kind of risk I'm talking about, right? And enough and more people are very happy with that levels because uh, it is still about more than 2x the typical return that they can make on a FT or a bond or, or a uh, or a debt mutual fund, right? So, uh, and the transparency with which it has been done uh, using the tech plat- uh, technology and the platform underlying it is what is really kind of differentiating the way this opportunity is being made available to them versus what has been the erstwhile experience, right? So that's kind of one segment where we have started stepping up a little bit also is what we, the nature of work that we have been doing with institutions, right? Foreign institutions, which is more in the, Specials that category now a, with a certain segment of investors, and we may launch an AI for that. Uh, we already have a license in place for that. Is where you know you may take a little bit more special set oriented kind of uh, opportunistic uh, uh, investments, and that will be more in the high teens to early twenties. So, but that is a slightly different investor segment. And just for our listeners, can you just quickly? Elaborate on just one line, maybe on what is this? So AIS. AIS is just basically your alternative investment funds, you know, the 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 SEBI regime uh, under which any of the domestic managers can manage funds, right? In which yeah. uh, you are basically committing a minimum of one crore and upwards, right? And these are logged in structures. So once you commit, I mean, generally your fund has a life of anywhere between five to seven years. So that allows mm-hmm. uh, investors to take a bit more long-term-ish view about the kind of opportunities that will come under an uh, under an alternative investment for on an AIF, right? And also, it just ensures that uh, that basically investors have enough and more sophistication to understand that risk, and that's how they are then looking to participate in those AIF. Right. And my last question for the day, as of uh, would be, sir. Uh, so, where do you see your business? Over the next five years, what sort of growth plans do you have? I know we have been discussing all of this all through, but if you can quickly sum it up in a five-year plan. Yeah, so I think so the way, uh, so honestly, the way we look at it is uh, two, three aspects. Uh, mm-hmm. at, a, at a broader level, what we are really, really wanting to do is participate in the this whole alternative bond or debt capital market creation uh, in the country. So uh, what I mean by that is if you go back 20, 25 years ago, there's this whole equity revolution that started. You know, effectively, mm-hmm. advent of mutual funds basically democratize investing into equities, right? Before that, it will happen. It will happen in a very right. much manner. People will act on tips or whatever, hearsay and all that without having any professional expertise. But with the advent of mutual fund, that whole thing changed. And today, I mean, we are still at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to participation, but it has become a very large industry. I think the same thing is starting to happen with debt or fixed income products, right? And uh, we are at the cusp of starting that thing. So we are we are very keen to participate in that journey. I mean, real estate, private credit is at a good place right now and, and uh Incidentally, our expertise also. So we are using that route. But over the five-year period, we want to evolve into a credit platform, which is not serving only real estate, but maybe some other aspects. Uh, we would look at at least participating into four to 5,000 crore uh, of credit investments on a per annum basis by that period of time. And we do believe that India, as such, offer easily offer that much potential. Uh, uh, even if I look at just two, three core segments that include real estate, infrastructure, and other yielding assets. So that's kind of how we are really looking at the growth of certain stack in earnest. Uh, that was Mr. Ashish Kandelia for you all. And thank you. Thank you once again, sir, for being on Business Line Podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time.
So thank you so much Abhishek it was an interesting conversation thank you for having me here today